I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Tim Rasmussen, and you're listening to Pop Violence. We're here, and we're talking about Easy Rider. Yeah. 1969 this is this is a crazy film and so i'll start off i'll talk a little bit about what i guess what i thought of it before i even saw it like kind of what my expectations were um, before seeing the film and then what my sort of my first impressions were yeah and you can talk about like you know when you saw the dvd cover yeah that's very that's a pretty strong yeah. visual yeah it is well and that's the 1999 like the whatever the 30th anniversary one that i think it looks quite different than like the originals the originals had were a lot more like monochromatic yeah and this one definitely i think you can see the history even through like that dvd cover you can see sort of what the film has come to represent and like that it's such a it's such a nostalgia um inducing visual and very, very much just like, in a lot of ways, like this stereotypical imagery that's like associated with Americana and like biker culture and things like that. Yeah. And so that immediately off the bat makes you think that this is going to be a movie that has, it has like stereotypical elements to it. Yeah. Which is an interesting conversation to bridge because it does. It has like, it has like every 20th century stereotype you could think of. But it presents them in like an extremely non-stereotypical way, right? Well, because the the stereotype is there visually, but it's not it's not even really about it's not about them being bikers. Mm-hmm. That's just the bikes are just their tools to getting around and to living out these experiences that you know are very meaningful, you know, to American culture or whatever. You know, it's not like it's just a bike movie where they get laid and do drugs and. Yeah, know, act violently and ride these big, yeah, and they're phalluses no- down yes, the road, right? Yes, <laughs> according to Fonda, yeah, yeah. And I think that I think yeah, we can get back to. I think we need to get back to that the phallus comment because that's an interesting one, especially if we think about um, the patriarchal or the just like the male dominated view that's like big in Hollywood or especially you know originally, but. Um, yeah, I think that like the imagery, the stereotypical imagery that's in it is very much there's a, there's a level of awareness of it. Like it's not like they're just like portraying these things just to look cool. Like you were saying, they're not doing it just because it's they they're aware that these are stereotypes, I think, and some of them are being accentuated to like drive home certain points of the plot yeah. or like certain like sentiments are present because they're they're trying to drive that through by just like sort of like saturating it with um these like this imagery that's very strong yeah and like you know you talk about wyatt or his nickname is sometimes captain america played by peter fonda you know he's he's wearing the the black leather suit with the american flag on the back and his his teardrop gas tank is is an american flag 
and then so he's obviously symbol he's obviously symbolizing an American uh, figure, and yeah. then what? But it's interesting. What uh, Billy's Billy's bike, another old school chopper. It's fire. Yeah, you know, it's it's red and it's flames, which is also interesting. You know, um, to his character arc, which is very uh, kind of brutish and kind of uh, brutish know, is a good brut- word. Yeah, because he, he he's kind of steering you know Wyatt along along into these different situations that aren't always the best so it's interesting that that's and i don't even know if like obviously the american flag is intentional but i don't even know if that you know the way the way his bike looked was like super integral to his character or anything yeah i think i think that there's i mean well and it depends it depends on how integral how we how we would even define that is it integral to the way that they were writing it when they wrote the movie or is it integral to how we have the right to interpret the movie yeah um or how the movie has been interpreted in the decades since it was released Mm -hmm. but i think you're right like why or not wyatt um billy his character is a lot more Mm simple-minded and very much more just like uh i guess like sensory he's just kind of like i don't want to say like shallow but he's a little bit more of like a shallow character i think in some ways like all he he kind of has like a very basic understanding of what freedom is and we kind of get that sense through his conversations with george later mm-hmm. on and also like that pivotal like last conversation last campfire that's you know a, a moment that is like gone down in history i feel like yeah and i do love that that fonda has said like that is he wants to keep that enigmatic and he wanted it to be enigmatic right from the start and i think that that actually opens up like a conversation like this in a podcast like this we can really we could we could come up with all sorts of different parables from this movie because I think they were aware that what they were creating was going to have this mythological feel to it. And they didn't want to pigeonhole what the myth, what the mythology was. They wanted to leave it open to interpretation and to what people thought of it. And so with obviously some, you know, they obviously have like their own ideas they're pushing forward, but they're pushing it forward in a way where, you know, people can pick up what they pick up and not pick up what they don't. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. I think in terms of like first impressions, I mean, right off the bat, like just like a super, just a compelling movie, you know, it's like, it's so, it's so filled with things from a certain time period, but it's like hard to even tell what time period it was made in and like what, what even like the, the pacing of the movie is so odd and everything about it is like very uh, unique. Yeah. And it's like, it's weird. It's like the way they kind of, you know, even the way like they start out, like, when they finally, when they score, when they score their drugs uh-huh. and then they finally sell it in LA and then they come back and they finally get their choppers out of their truck and they finally like, they're about to head off and you know, Wyatt takes off his watch and he looks at it and he chucks it on the ground. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like, you know, there's no, you know, we're not bounded by anything anymore. Yeah. We're not bounded by the, con- you know, constraints of time or by, you know, we're not on anyone's schedule. We're just, we're doing what we're doing. We're- yeah. Freedom. Yeah. And I think freedom is like a huge theme of the movie. Something that comes up like over and over. Easy Rider came out in 1969. It's written by Peter Fonda and then Dennis Hopper and a guy named Terry Southern. It's starring Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper, as well as Jack Nicholson. And this film is one of the most unique 
and most familiar films I've ever seen. It takes all these elements of American culture, puts them together in a very compelling way, and then gives it to you in a sense that now, 50 years down the line, feels like a piece of American mythology, something that is a parable of what America really is. And that really matches with the tagline of the film, which was a man went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. And so me and Jake, who's the person that introduced me to this film, carry on here talking about just the the pure stature and the largeness of this film. So this, yeah, this film's got a big place, I think, in history as well as in in culture, and that's that's like another piece of it, I guess. I think we've we've pretty much already covered that about just thinking about the history of the film. Mm-hmm. I read this interesting uh, analysis of it that was really played off of how this this um, this film like came at a time that was in between so many different things and like really played between these this really a crossroads of of eras in the United States. Yeah, totally. Where you had, and it was, and it was so many layers to it that this, this author shared, which was like, there's, you know, obviously the sixties to the seventies and you have this, this end of this countercultural movement, or I guess it's coming to an end. I think a lot of the countercultural movement survived until like the early seventies. For sure. Uh, no, yeah. A lot of the imagery that we associate with the sixties is from the early seventies, but it's still like this, it, almost like what this film almost predicted how it was going to end. You yeah. Know? And so it was a piece of that history. And then you also had the Hollywood dynamic and mm-hmm. how films were made um, and seeing how that changed from like old Hollywood and your classic Hollywood to the new Hollywood. Yeah. And that's even layered in with the fact that we have Peter Fonda, who is <laughs> he's so in, in, in even out, especially after watching the documentary, yeah. he's so different than like his father. His father's like this symbol of like this almost like very stern and um, inaccessible in a way, sort of a masculine classic Hollywood figure, Henry Fonda. And then Peter Fonda is like this, uh, a little bit more gruff and um, yeah, just very well, sort it's of, of his, quirky. it's of his time, you yeah. know? Yeah, totally. totally of his time. And they told, but they, that, that's how like those two father and son, they almost represent like two different time periods. Yep. And the reflections are really interesting because they have such a similar stature and like a similar, they carry themselves really similarly. And so you're like, whoa, you've got this, this figure that looks like this classic Hollywood, but is carrying himself or he's carrying himself like this classic Hollywood figure that we all associate with, but he is representing and doing and saying things that are so different. Yeah, totally. And in a different era. So what I'm now realizing is that this film really like falls into like the, I feel like the phrase uh, larger than life. You know, because I don't know if that many people are really that familiar with this film. I mean, not now, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, people now, people either my age or even people your age, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just like, no, I mean, I, you know, what, in what situation other than this, would they really even need to, would they even like be exposed, be exposed to that kind of yeah. movie? You know what I mean? Uh, oh, I mean, maybe probably like film students. And right. Stuff. Film I'm sure. Student, right. I'm sure that that's a big thing. And- but even people that are into like, pop culture as a whole you know everyone's familiar with star wars and with like you know all the new superhero movies and all that stuff that's kind of like 
All the movie buffs. All the movie buffs. <laughs> you know, that's like that's like the new. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of what I see. You know, if ever I watch like YouTube channels of people that watch a lot of films, and that's that's always there. And it it may take a while for people to find Easy Rider. Or, you know, may yeah, it may just take them a while to find something like that. So, but the imagery of it and the cultural impact of yeah. it, I think. How could someone not be familiar with like I think that's another weird thing from watching the film is even when I was watching it, a lot of the scenes and stuff I felt familiar with. And I'm not I'm not an expert enough at film to know that if this was the first film that ever I know I'm sure that there's certain things that this was the first film to ever do. You know, Dennis Hopper said it was the first real independent film distributed by a major company. But I think that I don't know for a fact that like some of the just like those really, really like cathartic, um, nostalgic images. Uh, I don't know if they're the first ones to do it, but when you're watching it and you, you know, you have the music and just the, the open highways yeah. and the landscape shots and the sunsets and the campfires and all these things. It's all very just it's very emblematic, like it's it's very you know, yeah, well, I think they were just kind of the registers, you know. Yeah, I, and I think they were the first to like kind of put all those elements and I don't know, just working in such a way that it wasn't like it wasn't just a stereotype. It wasn't just you know, because in in the documentary that we watched afterward, it's like they talk about how it's a western. They're outlaws, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, that and like a story, a story like that, you know, it's not that's not new. That's not a, you know, no, two not guys, at all. That, two guys that make a score and make it run across the country and get into all sorts of shenanigans. That's nothing new. You know what I mean? But it's just like, I think the way they had it set up and the way that, you know, the characters were, they made it all flow really easy. Yeah. And what it, what it, what they wanted it to mean, I feel like yeah. and you even get that. I mean, you get that parallel right at the close to the beginning, that shot where he's at the rancher's house. Yeah, and they have that. You know, in the foreground is he's like, hey, the, can I fix my bike? Yeah, like, of course you can. Yeah. And yeah, and he's the, shooing his horse. The guy's yeah. shooing his horse. The farmer's shooing his horse. In the foreground, in the background, he's fixing the back tire of the, the motorcycle. Yeah, and that's just like that. That it just it's like that was a very very clear like imagery of like yeah, this is a parallel of um, the American story because we all associate the, you know the the cowboy and the horseback riding with westerns and just sort of the classic images of America and like what it means. And I'm sure at that point, like there was Westerns were at their peak, you know, um, yeah. in the first half or the first, you know, six years of the 20th century. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a big piece. And I think that that's what makes the movie something that sort of crosses over from just being a movie about bikers yeah. to being a movie that is, that has like a mythology to it and something that feels like it's, it's, it's bigger than just the actual story that we're seeing it's about something more and it has, it has a parable or an allegory element to it. And I think, yeah, let's talk about that. Cause I think that the first, the first place that we can talk about that is just thinking about how, how the movie as, as a whole and as like a greater sort of like narrative that means something like how it is a commentary on America and the idea of America and like the state of America as well. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, you know, I mean, again, they said in the documentary, it's like, you know, the the first Woodstock anyway had already happened, I think, at that point. Mm -hmm. And then Summer of Love, Summer 67 or whatever had already happened and rock and roll was over. And all these kind of big cultural movements that had defined like a lot of, you know, that had defined the 60s was like, and even 
you know, the late fifties or whatever, it was just like kind of over and everyone was kind of waiting for the next thing, the move, and especially the end of the movie, you know, when the two guys get killed, it's like certain ways of thinking and certain, you know, what you thought before it's going to end and something else totally more radical is going to come, you know, is going to come, but you know, when they died, it's like this kind of like sad, like hangover of like after this great age. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I think the movie, I think that's one of it. That was one of its objectives. You know? Yeah. It captures that really well too. It, especially with the abrupt nature of how it ends like that, you know, you're not expecting it at all. No. First, Cause the first, like, and like when I watch old movies or something like, like critic, everyone like, Oh, this is a great movie. You got to watch it. Like somehow I already know what's going to happen, you know, like, like yeah. cause it, they, but I didn't know that like easier. All I knew of easy rider was Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. They ride on choppers and that's easy rider to me. That's all I knew before. Yeah. And like at the, you know, at the end, like, Oh, you know, they did all these crazy things. They scored the drugs. They sold them. They met all these people. They met these two chicks, you know, they had an acid trip in the cemetery, you know? Yeah. And then right at the end, they're riding. Like you expect them, like what's the next scene they're going to, you know? Yeah. What's but, the next step on, on their journey? Yeah. And these two, these two like pogues just come yeah. in their truck and just like, man, look at them dudes. I'm going to get a haircut. Yeah. Like, why'd you get a haircut? And he just shoot like you know he's like he because the guy in the truck with the gun says he's just gonna shoot him he's like, or not shoot him scared but he's the hell scared. I'm gonna scare the hell yeah you know I guess Dennis like Dennis Hopper gives him the finger or whatever and he's like oh, I'll just kill him and he's boom shoot him and you're like oh shit yeah and then like the as the camera like the camera's like kind of the point of view of the truck like Pat and then Wyatt was in front of him and like like it's like Wyatt like looks at the truck as he drives by and he goes back and he's like and Dennis is like oh like all sprawled out and bloody and shit and like Dennis like I'm gonna get or why well, it's like I'm gonna get help and then he drives away and then the two people are like we gotta go back you know and like when he said like the first time I was like what do you mean go back like to help or like to say oh you know oh, yeah because I was you? I was like, thinking like oh did he accidentally shoot him shoot him yeah because he said he just wanted to scare him it's like oh maybe they maybe yeah. these guys are gonna go help him but now like we gotta kill the other guy too so <laughs> no one you know we don't gotta you know that is wild yeah and it's like and I then like the same thing yeah then the comes around and he shoots white and like dang dude like i was not like yeah that was kind of that was a big that was a big shock yeah it has that yeah, was a definitely a shock and i think that it i mean some will i mean i think that and i think there's value to it some will say like that represents sort of the countercultural movement in some ways like from the beginning to the end that there's this idea of this truer sense of freedom and truer sense of like uh, like self actualization or fulfillment um, that can be attained from within within the confines of the state or the society, and then you can break out of it somewhere. Um, and that's sort of what the countercultural movement's about in a lot of ways. It's all about sort of being counter to what what society was had normalized and was all about. Yeah. And going against that and trying to get to that place of like greater freedom and greater fulfillment, sustainability or whatever. And that that sort of didn't happen. That didn't work. And they're an interesting archetype to represent the countercultural movement, though, right. because they are so stereotypically stereotypically American culture as well. Yeah, as well. Yeah, they're so I think the layering to that is really interesting. And I think it's also portrayed in the first two stops that the countercultural nature of Billy and Wyatt, they're countercultural, but they're also stereotypically American. And you've got the first stop that they make on the road is stereotypically American. Yeah. But it captures that same 
it has that same um, value that is being sought after at the hippie commune, which right. which is the perfect or the the you know exact like articulation of counterculture. Yeah. But they, but like you know, the the ideas are the same. It's like these people that you know are living off the land, and like they are unbound by time. They're unbound, you know, they're not confined by the system in any way. And one of them's doing it in the most stereotypical way, the rancher, and and you know, and Wyatt admires him so much for that. And he you know he voices that, and then the other ones are the hippies, and they're trying to do the same thing, but in a completely different way. Right. And I think that the sort of like the marriage of those two things almost comes, that almost is what like, it's almost like that's what the concept of America was at the start in some ways. And I think that relates back to some of like what George says towards the end. I don't know. Yeah. But I think. For those who might not be as familiar or who need a refresher, I figure now is a good time to give a brief explanation of this film and how it sort of flows because Jake and I are going to be referencing uh, a lot of different characters and instances of the film. So what happens is these two guys, Billy and Wyatt, um, they make a bunch of money from selling cocaine in Los Angeles and they put the money into his teardrop gas tank of his motorcycle and they set off across the country um, the first place that they stop in this journey is at a ranch with this large family and these people that sort of look like cowboys and supposedly live on their own independently on a piece of land somewhere in southern california arizona or something not long after that they run into a guy who is hitchhiking on the side of the road who they take to a hippie commune and he's supposedly the leader of this commune and Billy and Wyatt spend some time there and immediately after that they head out on their way Wyatt sort of wants to stay but or he seems to admire what's going on there but they head out on the road and they end up in jail where they meet a lawyer named George Hansen, who's played by Jack Nicholson. And George is a lawyer who does a lot of work for the ACLU. Um, at this point, they're in the South. And George sort of forms this camaraderie with them and lets them know that he wants to go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And that becomes sort of the big next step in the journey. And so then they head out towards New Orleans with George, make a couple stops along the way. And the journey just kind of evolves from there. And by the end of it, it kind of leaves you shocked and and kind of questioning what it was all about. And so that's a brief explanation of how the film goes. And each one of these pieces of the puzzle seems to compound on the other in adding to what this film means um, in an American context. that that leads up i mean so you got the the first place the ranch yeah that wyatt seems to really like and he's and he's like really like he's he's really amazed with what this guy's got going on it's like you you know you live for yourself and you i can't i can't remember the line but then he goes to the next place and it's like oh wyatt seems to really like this place too like he'd probably be down to stay there 
and he's at the hippie commune and you know he he has that line where he says over and over like they're gonna make it they're gonna make it yeah they'll make it yeah they'll make it and i found that really interesting too that he has that optimism where the uh, the actual like what you're seeing on the on the on the screen does not look like they're gonna make no, it not at all, yeah. <laughs> and so that's interesting and then go straight into jail where yeah. they meet george where things where the whole story and then like i think like bursts open and we start to to actually like see the inner workings of the story a little bit more for sure different different groups of people they meet you know they meet the farm the rancher then they meet the hippies and then they meet the rednecks as they get deeper and deeper into the south yeah you know and when the, and it's interesting like you know the way you know we think about the american flag is is people now seeing it as a very oppressive thing you know, some 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 you know yeah. a lot yeah some people seeing it as an oppressive thing you know and it's like when they roll up like the the guy in the cat hat you know that one redneck dude he like he's like man check the flag on that bike them yankee queers you know yeah because obviously their flag is the confederate you know yeah that's their you know because there's still people in this there's still people today yeah. in the south but especially back then there's people that you know still had the mentality that the south had its own kind of system that ran differently from the rest of the country. And that, that whole scene, that whole restaurant scene is really interesting to see how all that unfolds. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And like the way that they talk about, you know, they didn't get like actors to mm -hmm. act in that scene. They got real people, you know, they yeah. got like a group of like, I don't know, like high school girls or something to be, you know, to be in one booth and then like a sheriff and the, like the guy in the cat hat and another one. And then like some other, just like, you know, random people, random people, Southern people just like to go in there. And the way Dennis Hopper, he says in documentary, like, you know, cause the, the objective of the scene is for the George Wyatt and Billy to go into the bar or to go into the restaurant and have all these people like, you know, kind of sneering at him and like, yeah. you know, murmuring amongst themselves. And the way Dennis Hopper said, like, you know, go in, like, feel free to say whatever you want about us, you know, because, we raped and killed a little girl outside of town. So that's what he told them. That's what he told them. The, like the plot of the movie. The plot was. of the movie. That's yeah. like, that's the plot of the movie. So they know? felt, they and, felt, uh, you know, unbridled. Yeah. When, and it's interesting because he's like, he's like, that freed them up to use whatever, you know, slander they wanted to use anyway. They already wanted to say it. They already want to say it, you know, because you can see it like, and even the, the camera, op, the cinematographer afterward, I forget his name, but he's just like, it's really kind of scary. You know, you could see in their face. Yeah. You know, they, they just love to hate, you know. Yeah, and they capture that perfectly in the movie. That guy, yeah. the cat hat's scary looking, dude. He is, yeah. <laughs> well, the you whole, th yeah, the whole thing, and and they kill George, you know. Yeah, and it and that was shocking to me actually. Like, I was surprised sure. when that happened. When they killed, yeah, that was brutal. Totally, and it, and it was shot. It was shot really weird. Like, you don't see death scenes like that very often, where it's just like you. Well, they're asleep, and they just start beating on yeah. them, you know, and then. You know, you just hear like Billy screaming, ah, you know, yeah, that's like kind of like that, that quick change edit, you know, between two shots of like them getting beaten, like him screaming. They do like the, yeah, the kind of, uh, they flash between each, each scene and then they, and then it's like him screaming and then so they like found out George, George is dead and they like have his wallet. Like, Oh, what do we do? Send it to his folks. Yada, yada, yada you know, and then they're on to the next, they're on, they're eat, they're eating at like some kind of fancy restaurant and i think that it's also it's like exactly what what george talks about like they you know that night the night that he dies you know he talks about they're they're scared of them you know they're scared of what they represent it makes them they, yeah like 
you being different makes the other people dangerous because they can't understand you. And it's like, you know, I don't know. Dennis, like Dennis's character, Billy was just rambling about something. And he's like, George is just like, Oh, they'll talk to you and talk to you about individual freedom. Yeah. But when they see a free individual, it's going to scare them. Yeah. And he's like, and then Billy's like, Oh, they ain't running scared. He's like, well, they ain't going to be running scared, but it'll make them dangerous. You know? Yeah, no, definitely. They're not, they're not running scared. They're, I'm trying to see. I, I think I had seen that quote, but I'm. A, I guess I'll, I'll probably superimpose that into the into here. Yeah, because <clears throat> that's a great that's a great uh, moment. And I think that that does speak to what Fonda says in the documentary as well, where he explains that you you experience the characters, you know, through that you know just watching them, watching their journey, but you figure out about who they are through George and his explanations and. You know, the, it, he, he, his, all the, all the scenes that he's in, it's a completely different movie because he talks so much and there's yeah. not as much dialogue for sure. And it's not as choppy. And, you know, I mean, Jack Nicholson is such a, and the, the first thing I said when I saw him come onto the screen, is like, he just has so much gravity. Like he pulls you in, in a way that not to say anything against Dennis Hopper and, and Peter Fonda, but he pulls you in, in a way and his character too, I think is written this way yeah, in a way that feels familiar. And that's the other thing that Fonda says, like he's a familiar character to like the more average watcher. Like not everybody is going to be able to relate to the like, you know, pot smoking LA speed freak, LA speed freak with yeah. the motorcycle. Yeah. These, these big, <laughs> these big mythological looking figures, but he's like this normal dude. He's like part of the, He's part of the society. And especially back then. He yeah. that that's just kind of what a regular dude kind of looked like. Yeah. You and know? he's and he's part of the society. You know, he's not outside the society like they are. He's part of it. Mm-hmm. But they find that they have a lot of common ground. And, you know, he explains to them, and I think, you know, he explains a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that go into the film that that really make you scratch your head and think about like what is the political and what are the political pieces of the film like what is it what does it mean politically and i think yeah. it is enigmatic like it yeah it's multifaceted and, it, and it's multi-sided but there's definitely a lot of the conversations with george where he brings up things that feel very very like relevant oh yeah it ain't like i'm stoned you know man but like you know i saw a satellite man, and it was going across the sky and it flashed three times at me and zigzagged and whizzed off man and i saw it that was a UFO beaming back at you. They, 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 they have got bases all over the world now, you know. They've been coming here ever since 1946, when the scientists first started bouncing radar beams off of the moon. And they have been living and working among us in vast quantities ever since. What are you talking, man? Hmm. Well, you just seen one of them, didn't you? Hey, man, I saw something, man, but I didn't see it working here. You know what I mean? They are people just like us from within our own solar system, except that their society is more highly evolved. I mean, they don't have no wars. They got no monetary system. They don't have any leaders because, I mean, each man is a leader. I mean, each man, because of their technology, they are able to feed, clothe, house, and transport themselves equally and with no effort. Wow. Well, you know something, man? I think, you know what I think? I think this is a crackpot idea. That's what I think. How about that? 
How about a little of that? Think it's a crackpot idea. I mean, if they're so smart, why don't they just reveal themselves to us, huh? And get it over with. <laughs> why don't they reveal themselves to us is because if they did, it would cause a general panic. Now, I mean, we still have leaders. It would be a devastating blow to our antiquated systems. So now the Nutians are meeting with people in all walks of life in an advisory capacity. For once, man will have a godlike control over his own destiny. He will have a chance to transcend and to evolve with some equality for all. How's your joint, George? What's up, Pop Violence listeners? This is Tim. I just want to give a quick plug for the platform that I use to curate and publish Pop Violence, Anchor.fm. If you are looking into starting a podcast, I would say that Anchor is a great option. It's free. You've got all your editing tools right there on the website. And it's really simple to get your stuff distributed to a lot of different listening platforms. And so if you want to go check it out, Go check out the Anchor app, download it for free, or at anchor.fm if you're interested in getting started. Wow, so even in a conversation where they're all stoned and they're talking about UFOs, George seems to be dropping some wisdom, and George gives um, some ideas of what's right and wrong, and talks about equality and sustainability, and man meeting their destiny. I think that now is as good a time as any, however, as we start to think more about the implications of the film, to acknowledge some of these shortcomings and some aspects of the film that need to be talked about. And that's just the fact that this film is so entirely given and in a lot of ways received through the male gaze and also through the white gaze. Meaning that this is this is what America looks like, and this is uh, uh, discussions and conversations that are happening um, from a certain part of society, certain standing, and that it's not necessarily reflective uh, reflective of the lived realities of uh, people of color or women or people of other identities. And so I think that. While that is sort of problematic and can be seen as one of the shortcomings of the film, I also try to put a spin on it where I can think of it as a way that this film can be a place for a white male reckoning because it's from the white male gaze. I'm I'm looking at this myself as, as a white man, thinking of it in terms of this is some type of mythology or parable that is coming from my point of view. And so how can I take this, this take on America, this understanding of the society around me, and how, how, how can I interpret that into being something that's meaningful to me, um, some, some place where I can become something better? And so as we go through the rest of the podcast, this is not something that we continue to bring up, but I think that it's something Im- very important to continually think about. Because as we now move into a more of a discussion on how the film talks about America and how the film relates to maybe some of my previous episodes about violence, cultural violence, structural violence, systemic violence, it's important 
that we think about what the perspective is that's coming through in this film and then to reckon that with how we can bring about greater um, degrees of justice and peace. It's clear that George has values, you know? Yeah. And it's not really clear if Billy and, and Wyatt have any values. You know, it's not clear that, or like a moral code or, or an ethical code at all. Like George has clear ethics through his conversations. He talks a lot about equality. He talks a lot about, uh, he does talk about freedom and he talks about a lot of these things that, you know, that seem to be what he's after or what he thinks would be like good things, good mm -hmm. and like good and bad. But I feel like Billy especially never really develops an ethical code. Not really. Like no. he, and I think that's part of, part of, you know, that ending scene where, he's, where you know, Wyatt says, and we blew it after they get through everything. We blew it. He says, we blew it. You know, he's like, Oh, we're going to go retire in Florida. We got freedom. We've got our freedom. We can go be free. And Wyatt realizes like we blew it because nothing means anything if you don't believe in anything. Right. Like there is no, it's very, it's very nihilistic in that way where it's like, no, you can't really have anything if nothing exists in the first place. And <clears throat> I think that that like pushes, that pushes the envelope a little bit. And I think that George is the one who really introduces that. And I think that he really, his death and also his conversations with them, I think is what deflates Wyatt the most yeah in the film like it changes it, it changes the way that Wyatt goes about the rest of it yeah for sure especially like after george is dead and then they go to the diner or wherever they're eating they go to like someplace to eat and Wyatt's just kind of sitting there just like kind of thinking like shit that was really you know fucked up and then yeah billy's just sitting there like eating and drinking wine and you know yeah it's yeah. kind of like he would have wanted us to do this man you know yeah, this yeah. is what he would have wanted for us and then the next scene they go to the whorehouse and you know they're seeing all the imagery in there and everyone's and why, why it's clearly contemplating death he's thinking about oh death. yeah and he looks you know he's in the he's in there and billy's like you know just drunk and having a good time or whatever and then Wyatt kind of walking around looking at everything he sees the he sees that painted scroll on the wall and i forget what it's i forget exactly what it said but it's like reputation it's about your reputation like what determines your reputation after you're dead they meet the girls in the whorehouse and then they go out, you know, Wyatt convinces them to go out and into Mardi Gras, yep. you know, and to go, you know, to get out and into. And he wants to get outside of the, he doesn't want to stay in the brothel. He wants to get out. No, he wants to get out. And then they go to the cemetery, take the acid. And then. Um, there's imagery in there about death too. Yeah, there's Heavy a lot imagery. of death imagery. There's the guy with the umbrella, you know, kind of running around the Shakespearean actor guy with the umbrella. And then and the, the black umbrella is, is a classical representation of death that maybe not everybody's fully familiar with but you know if you look at a lot of classical artists and things paintings even yeah and then obviously yeah and then obviously they're in the cemetery so yeah they're in the cemetery and you know he has his whole his whole moment with uh, the mary statue which was interesting yeah when you feel you're close to death you know you're gonna you're gonna try and resolve things that that you were either staying away from or yeah when time's running out you know which is a line that the that the stranger on the highway that they picked up and dropped over the com at the commune that he says, you know, time's running out when he yeah. gives him the acid, when you're at the right place, right time, you take this. And, and Billy's rushing. I, I love that part. Cause Billy's rushing him and he goes, he goes, um, you know, if we're going to go, let's go. Right. With that kind of like that annoying, like tone. Yeah. And, and, uh, and why it's like, you know, I'm hip on time, but <laughs> I got to go. Yeah. And then he says, time's running out. I don't know that whole character, the 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 uh, the hippie commune guy. Yeah, 
I don't know. He was a he was a weird one. Well, I mean, I think he represents like sort of like the everything that's wrong with the the hippie movement in some ways. He just kind of he's kind of a, he's kind of a dick. No, yeah, I mean, and the way that the guy, the actor that played him, Luke Skew, says is like, I didn't see this guy as a spiritual messenger at all. I just kind of saw him as, a, you know, a guy that lives off communes, bringing them dope or bringing them drugs or whatever, and getting laid and then moving on. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Which is and which is kind of manipulating women and other people. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And he talks about like communes that, you know, that were around in like the late '60s. Like, you know, it was usually two or three guys on a total power trip, kind of uh, controlling like these women and like having these children around that weren't being taken care of properly. Everyone's like, you know, just totally like out of their minds and not, you know, not really going anywhere. Not really. Not thriving. Not really thriving. Maybe living peacefully in quotes you know, to a degree, but really, really just destroying yourself under the guise of like this yeah. really peaceful, you know? Well, yeah, no, for thing. sure. And I think maybe that's like, maybe that's the, the really like compelling part of the film is that it takes all these archetypes of what freedom means mm -hmm. and it shows you why they're not actually freedom. Right. Yeah. Like it shows you why America is not actually a free society. And I think that that's best put by George when he says, how is anybody free when they're bought and sold by the marketplace? And that really goes into like some really heavy critical lenses towards um, a capitalist economy. And then you've got, you know, them as these archetypes of like this individualistic freedom and this representative of this American outlaw. And he finds out they're not free because they have no ethics. They have no, they have nothing meaningful to, to fuel their, their liberation and to make their liberation meaningful. So it's really, they're just, they're not actually experiencing the freedom. And you've got the hippies. They're not actually free. No. Right? And then you've got the rednecks. They're not actually free. Well, no one can right? be no one can actually be free. Yeah, that's like that's a really interesting piece of the film. Like so something it leaves you kind of grasping for air in a little in a, in, in some ways because you're like, "Well, what is what's the point?" Or like, "What's the <laughs> where's the yeah. Where's the um where's the takeaway that is going to motivate me to to, to go for something?" And, you know, I've, I've seen this, this critique or this critique, this, um, message taken from the film. That's basically like at the point that they were at, they had, they had, they had run through the gamut of like different ways to find freedom. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of it, the reality of it, that why it realizes and that is eventually realized is that the only real freedom is death. Mm -hmm. And that once death takes them that's you know i guess that's freedom in some ways but then that's just like a super like existential like very like dark dark way for the the film to finish you know i think that like that really reflects really well on the actual like movements of society and human history like humans are like constantly struggling and trying to find these different political or societal or like philosophical ways to understand the world in a way that where they can find fulfillment, they can find freedom to have rights and also to thrive and to self-actualize and all these things. And it's like, where does that actually happen? Where can that actually be attained? Yeah. What does freedom mean in modern, in, in America? All these different examples. Interesting. Yeah. And like, I mean, like that's, I feel like that's the perfect time period to like ask that question. And, it, and, you know, it's, it's not a question I feel like we've even fully answered yet. Like we're still, we're still struggling with the same issues. We're still struggling with like the same problems, yeah. um, the same amount of hatred and, and it's just found different ways to disguise itself and to, 
and to morph and camouflage and re-express itself. And I think that the film is asking this, the larger sort of existential question is obviously, you know, still relevant. And I think that that's reflective of, you know, they have that ability to do that reflection. Whereas like, you know, some people don't have that ability. The word I should have used in that last sentence in place of ability is privilege. Not all people have the privilege to do the reflections that George does and have the journey that Billy and Wyatt do. And that is because a lot of people have the violence of the system on them. And I think that that privilege that George carries and that Billy and White carry is even expressed further in one of the upcoming clips I'm going to share where George laments that America used to be a hell of a country. It's not dissimilar from some pretty popular political phrases like make America great again. And critical thinkers would look at that and say, when was this so great? Was it during slavery or Jim Crow? Or was it in the late 20th century where all the racism and the sexism was able to disguise itself behind policies and other structural discrepancies? But that's who George is. And he reflects on this country and in a way that he comes to a realization, I think, that a lot of people are coming to right now. And it's causing a lot of... Uh, tension and friction in this country. Something that M.J. Barkowski wrote in a book that I once read called Recovering Nonviolent History. He says that a country that is originated in violent struggle successfully will glorify that violence and become, he uses the word, impregnated with that violence in all walks of its society. It's not dissimilar from the idea of positive versus negative peace, a quote that's often associated with Martin Luther King Jr. and others. The idea that peace is not tranquility. Tranquility can be obtained by people um, on the backs of others, specifically through the violence that's done to others structurally or systemically or culturally. And it's quite similar to Galtung's observations that I shared in my first podcast, that violence really is this any sort of exercise that deprives people and holds them back from being able to thrive and to become fulfilled and to become the humans that they ought to be, that they want to be, to become their true selves. And I think that's really what freedom is. And this word freedom has become the central question of this entire episode. And it appears that freedom really, at the end of the day, is some type of state of being that goes beyond just what is seen in the film and what is seen in front of us in our society. But it's something that supersedes those things by having peace with justice and without violence and without systems that perpetuate violence. 
And so that's really what I think is is important about this film and where it gets to is that a realization is reached by George, by Billy and by Wyatt, that perhaps freedom is something that we don't have here in the United States of America. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for whatever reason for the United States of America to do is to really look at itself in the mirror realistically without patriotism getting in the way without history and tradition getting in the way and to really ask you know how are we violent are we free and maybe that's the most incredible thing about the story in this film is that it's three white guys that come to this realization that there is not freedom where they're looking there is not freedom in these archetypes of American life. Not real freedom. And so I'm going to conclude this podcast with handing it over to George for him to deliver his final sermon that takes place just moments before his unfortunate death. And after that, the podcast will transition into Jake and I concluding our conversation a little bit about George's privilege and about how we can wrap up our thoughts on Easy Rider. So for now, I'm just going to say thank you for listening to this edition of Pop Violence. And I'll catch you two weeks down the road. I mean, a second-rate motel, you okay? think? They think we're going to cut their throat or something, man. They're scared, man. Oh, they're not scared of you. They're scared of what you represent to them. Amen. Oh, we represent to them, man, as somebody who needs a haircut. Oh, no. What you represent to them is freedom. What the hell's wrong with freedom, man? That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about, all right. But talking about it and being it, that's two different things. I mean, it's real hard to be free when you are bought and sold in the marketplace. Of course, don't ever tell anybody that they're not free, because then they're going to get real busy killing and maiming to prove to you that they are. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're going to talk to you and talk to you and talk to you about individual freedom. But they see a free individual, it's going to scare them. No, well, don't make them running scared. No, it makes them dangerous. George is a really compelling character, even in that conversation. As, yeah. As someone who... I don't know if he had freedom, but he had something. He had something. It feels like he had something that that Wyatt, at least, 
Well, I think to a degree, for. yeah, and I think to a degree, obviously before he was killed, I think he had a degree. I think he had like the ability to kind of go between you know different groups of people and different lifestyles because he's obviously from the south and he looks just like another southern boy or whatever and he can you know he can kind of exist in that world but he could also hang out and have meaningful conversations with two completely different people but i think as soon as he was like seen in a very very public place yeah with the you know that's when it started stirring the pot you know because and dennis hopper says in the or i forget who says in the documentary again it's like the, the worst thing this guy's ever done was get drunk and work for the ACLU and he gets killed. He's the one who gets killed. Yeah. yeah. And that's what that's, and I, he's absolutely right. That's the one that's going to really pull at your heartstrings. I mean, the end of it pulls at your heartstrings too, because you don't feel like these guys are that bad. I mean, not other, really other no. than selling cocaine. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, him dying, it, it definitely has that, that feel to it. And, and I think that it sort of exposes as well how, like, you know, his – him being the person that he is and having the – him not being – let me put it this way. Not him being the person that he is, but him not being one of the ones who was doing the killing that night is the reason why he was killed. Right. right. So if he would have been a, a southern person that was just – you know, that kind of person that would spew out all those, the hateful and, and bigoted things that they said, and then go around and kill the guys later that night. If he was that kind of a person, then he never would have been killed. No, but it's the fact that he was, you know, at least into, to many degrees going against the grain and had these ethical ideas about equality and, you know, working for civil rights, which is what the ACLU does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that mindset is what eventually got him killed. And I think that that's, there's some, uh, there's some value to be taken from that as well. And sort of what it means to, 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 to be something and to be someone. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to do this movie. I knew it was going to be good. You know? Yeah. I knew like we were going to have a lot to talk about. And, uh, this movie's like America. It's like America in a freaking in 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to be, totally irrelevant no i, don't I think, think so. i think appearance wise and you know obviously it's aged or whatever but i, I don't think you know i don't think it's ever going to lose its staying power no and because that history is always going to be a part of you know it's always going to be something that is 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 influencing us you know that history yeah and so and i think and i think there's something for everyone yeah you know because i mean i was talking about earlier why i like it yeah know, which is kind of uh a little bit simplistic but it's you know i like stories of you know good and good and evil and even even the in between you know people that lie a lot of in between in this yeah i would say (laughs) people that you know lie in between different groups and you know are trying to find meaning in things and when it's presented to you in such a way that's attractive to you then it's like you know, that's why, you know, that's why I like, that's why I like this movie anyway. Yeah. You know, you know, there's, I'm always going to get new things from it every time I watch it. And every time I try to do research or whatever and do things like this, but it's like, yeah. And that's, that's why I like movies, dude. Dude. No, totally. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what, that's what the podcast is all about. It's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create a platform where we can, we can interrogate our own pop culture mm-hmm. and figure out how that can help us understand the world around us and the movements that are around us and the violence that is, you know, inherent in, in human societies. 
And I think that this film does a really good job at that. And mm -hmm. even if it's not fully intentional, I think in a lot of ways this film intentionally does it. And we know that we know that Fonda and Hopper were big civil rights guys. Yeah. And they were big, you know, anti-war guys. And they had they had political leanings. And I and I think that we would be a little bit naive to think that those political leanings didn't inform the ethics of the film and the political agenda of the film to a degree. They knew they knew that they had to make it palatable to everybody though and they yeah. did a great job of that i think that's what elevates it to this mythological um like size and scale where it feels like it's it has this uh yeah it just has this transcendent um messaging to it um especially from the american viewer and so yeah totally i mean it's it was uh it's it's a it's yeah it's a piece of history it's an epic tale it's like an epic poem and uh yeah thanks uh thanks for uh thanks for recommending it yeah totally dude i mean yeah this movie's rad i really can't get it is rad it, you know it's got those layers it's got the rad layers and it's got the um it's got the the head scratching layers and and everything in between so it's sick i think we're i think we're done here cool thanks man even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 